The following production is part of the We Be Geeks podcast collective. All this has happened before. Hey kids, Townsend Coleman here, the voice of Michelangelo from the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Tom Kane, this is the voice of Yoda on Star Wars. Hey yo, it's Wopat, and a big yee to you all. I used to be Luke Duke. Hi, my name is Oli Shoshan. I play Jedi Master Shakti. Hi, Butch Patrick here, Eddie Munster. Hi, this is Jim. Hi, this is Bill Farmer. You're listening to the Neverland Podcast. Welcome to Neverland, to Disney and beyond. And it will all happen again. And now your head lost boy, the Spider Pan. Walk on the eyes of East Pan. Jeremy. Take your pixie out of your pockets, Neverlanders, and sprinkle some of that pixie dust around. Think of that happiest thought. Hopefully you have some. It's a new year. I know the new year has not started out quite the way we expected it, I suppose. Uh, but you know what? We are here going to Neverland, and I have probably one of the most important conversations I think that I've had in a good long time to share with you today. I got a chance to speak with Dan Beats of ThankYouWaltDisney.org, which I have mentioned them before on the show. If you've been a longtime listener, they're the organization that is trying to rebuild Walt Disney's original studio here in Kansas City, the Laughogram Studios. This is a great conversation. There's a lot of Disney history. So there, there's some stuff that even I didn't know all the details of. Uh, he has contributed to a lot of Disney history books, some that are currently out of print. Uh, but if you're really interested in Walt's early time here in Kansas City and what happened here at the Laughogram, you're going to really enjoy this episode. But I want to make sure that I say here at the beginning of this why I say this is super important. They are having a big push right now. They have a goal in mind that they want to complete, and they need your help to do it. And you can help by sharing this episode. If there's any episode of Neverland that you have wanted to share, this is the one you want to share. If you've never shared this show with anyone before, this is the time to do it. This is the one. Share this with all your Disney friends, all your all your family, anybody. You know, if you're if you know Disney people, <laughs> you know, share this episode. In fact, I'm going to share this uh, audio with some uh, Disney podcast groups in hopes that somebody will either, you know, maybe they want to interview Dan or they can just use the audio of the interview of what I've got. That It is that important. I really want to push for this. This is, a, this is a very important part of Walt Disney history, and we need to make sure that there's something here that will last, that will really live up to the legacy of, of Walt, what Walt did uh, here in Kansas City. And they get something set up. This gives you a perfect a perfect place for you to come and visit here in Kansas city and see this and walk where Walt walked, you know, the, the house that even that he lives, he lived in is just down the road from the laughogram. There's so much Disney history here in Kansas city that those of you who really love, you know, just the history of Walt, I, I think you would really, really appreciate getting it to see this. You know, this is, this is almost like going to Marceline, you know, it's, it's, it's that important. In fact, I would recommend a Disney trip. If you've never been here, come to Missouri, visit Kansas City, see the Laughogram, see the house there. Uh, you can even, we'll even talk about the uh, the ad company that Walt worked for. You can come and find that in Kansas City, which I need to go and look for myself. Uh, but then also visiting Marceline. There is so much here and so much you can glean from it. Uh, but it's, it's incomplete right now. It, and it needs your help to move forward. 
Uh, so that's pretty much all I wanted to throw on here on top of the episode. Uh, we are, of course, working on, you know, I'm, I'm going to make a new outro for the show. I'm working on that, uh, mainly because we're on YouTube now, and YouTube is being picky about the MIDI file I'm using at the end of the show, so I'm, I'm working on that, but that's beside the point. But I have a very, very important interview, as I said before, and so I'm just going to dive right into it. Please enjoy Dan Veets. To Disney and beyond. All right, Neverlanders, this is going to be interesting. Uh, here lately, I've been seeing some new news stories popping out about the goings-on with the Thank You Walt Disney organization and the location of the Laughogram Studios. So I was curious, like, oh, it might be some exciting things finally getting rolling over there. So uh, I made some contacts, and now I get to talk for the first time Dan Veets is here with us. You're the head of Thank You Walt Disney, right? Well, I'm the president of the board. That's correct. Awesome. And I'd say most of my listeners are probably familiar with Laughogram, but in case I have some new listeners who have not been with me that long, how would you explain Laughogram to people? Well, Laughogram was Walt Disney's first professional film studio. It operated in 1922 and 23 at a building which still stands, thanks to our efforts uh, at 31st and Forest Streets, just a, a block east of Troost. And Laughogram really was uh, the beginning of the Walt Disney Company. It, it was the company that produced about a half dozen one-reel animated cartoons. They also produced some live-action films. Uh, the last production at Laughogram was the essentially the pilot episode of the Alice comedies. Mm -hmm. And those were Walt's first uh, series that he produced in Hollywood. Um, but the, the beginnings of the Walt Disney Company clearly uh, are at the building uh, on 31st and Forest Streets. Oh, yes. And it, the fun part is, is it's just like a, a few blocks away from the house on Bellefontaine where he uh, he grew up the second half of his life. That's right. Yeah, a lot of folks know that Walt spent uh, time growing up in Marceline, Missouri, and those were very important years, mm -hmm. and they had a big impact on him. But in fact, uh, he spent a little over five years in Marceline. He spent over 10 years in Kansas City, and the Kansas City period is is at least equally important. Yep. And even after he went into uh, World War One driving the ambulance, he came back to Kansas City when he started working. That's exactly right. Yeah. Yes. Kansas City is where his home was, where his friends were. And, and he clearly considered Kansas City his home. He and his brother Walt both, in fact, or excuse me, his brother Roy, both came back to Kansas City uh, when they got out of the service uh, after World War I. Roy was uh, uh, in the Navy, and Walt was uh, in the Red Cross, like Ernest Hemingway. He mm -hmm. drove an ambulance, in Walt's case, immediately after the war ended. So he didn't spend any time in the, the foxholes and the trenches. Uh, he actually had a pretty good time. Uh, in France, he was there for about nine months and then returned to Kansas City. Which is very fortunate because if something would have happened to him in World War One, there was so much stuff yeah. we would have missed out on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he he was young and like a lot of young men, you know, he just couldn't wait to get into the war. And uh, he had no real idea what what that war experience was like. Yeah. And uh, we're, we are lucky he didn't actually see action over there. Um, we might have lost him and. The world might be a very different place. On the other hand, it was during those nine months he picked up the, the addiction to nicotine, which wound up killing him yeah. at the uh, relatively young age of 66. 
and uh, and that's a tragedy. That's oh a yeah, my goodness. And the the thing about the Laughagram, it is not only Walt Disney, but you got some great animators who Walt worked with. I mean, first and yes. foremost, of course, Ub Iwerks. Yes. But when you think of yeah, like Hugh Harmon and uh, right. Rudolph Ising, there were some right. great animators that I mean, we're we're almost the birthplace of animation right here in Kansas the City, but thanks to Laughagram. The birthplace of Hollywood animation. Right. I would yeah. Use that statement. Yes. There was animation being created from the time film began. Animation was always part of film. So the earliest animated cartoons are from the 1890s. And Walt saw those films in theaters and he was fascinated by them. But he didn't invent animation. A lot of right. people seem to think he invented the medium, but he refined it and he took it to new heights without, without question. So when he was working in Kansas City, uh, the cartoons he made there, of course, were black and white, silent cartoons, but they were of a quality and, and on a par with the best cartoons being made. At that time, they were all coming out of New York and New Jersey. Uh, when Walt left Kansas City to go to Hollywood, he was the very first animator to work in Hollywood. And when he needed, uh, when he needed to hire animators, he called on his friends in Kansas City. There were no animators on the West Coast. Uh, <laughs> But you're right, Ub Iwerks, the great genius Ub Iwerks, was the first person he called on. And he persuaded Ub to come on out and uh, join him in Hollywood and then uh, proceeded to hire uh, other young men from Kansas City who he had worked with there. Uh, as you mentioned, Hugh Harmon and Rudy Ising. And part of their uh, part of their accomplishments were they were the very first animators at Warner Brothers. They were then the very first animators at MGM, and Hannah and Barbara learned to animate from Harmon and Ising. Uh, and a young man named Isidore Freeling, better known mm. as Frizz Freeling, yeah. also joined Walt uh, in Kansas City, uh, rather in Hollywood. He had not worked with Walt in Kansas City, although he worked for the Kansas City Film Ad Company, where Walt uh, had previously worked. And, uh, of course, it, uh, Frizz Freeling was one of the greatest directors uh, at Warner Brothers for decades and then co-founded the DePatie Freeling Studio, which uh, is famous for the Pink Panther and other characters. Mm -hmm. So if you combine the Disney Studio, the Warner Brothers Studio, the MGM Studio, Hannah and Barbera and DePatie Freeling, that's almost the entire Hollywood animation industry for decades. Yeah. And all those, all those operations began um, from the young men who worked at Laughagram or worked with Walt Disney uh, in Kansas City. And it's, it's a lot of history that even a lot of our locals don't even know. Uh, when, right. I used to, when I used to drive Uber and Lyft, uh, mm -hmm. or even when people would fly out of town, I'd bring them from the airport and they, uh, they asked mm -hmm. me, you know, tell me something interesting about Kansas City. And I'm like, well, did you know Walt uh -huh. Disney's first animation studio was here? That's and, right. And people were like, wait, what? You know, and so yeah. locals didn't know. And That's I had right. fun telling people. Now I have I have heard the uh, mm -hmm. the old company there where you I always forget the name but you just mentioned it but apparently that location is still somewhere in Kansas City and it's got a marker on it the Laughagram oh you mean the Kansas City Film Ad Company yeah uh, yes there's a marker over at 1015 Central Street where the Kansas City Slide Company operated now that was operated by Mr Arthur Vern Cogger. And A.V. Cogger moved his operation to a new building, which he designed and built over on Charlotte. And uh, and that building stood until recent years. And the University of Missouri uh, foolishly tore it down, but they saved us the uh, sign, the original Kansas City Slide Company concrete sign from that. 
building as part of our collection and nice. will be uh, exhibited at the new, uh, at the reconstructed uh, uh, Raffogram building. Awesome. And uh, you've been popping up in some headlines here lately. It seems it's been a, a, yeah. it's a long, ongoing process getting this yeah. all together, but it seems like there's some yeah. new plans and some new hopes that this is going to be stepping forward very quickly. That's right. We have, uh, frankly, it's not hard to get the interest in, in Walt Disney. <laughs> and we've had this building now for uh, over 20 years. And some people, I think, figured we just were never going to get it off the ground. Well, what we have accomplished is to save that building. It yeah. was scheduled for demolition. It would have been destroyed if we hadn't stepped in and bought it and begged the city to back off and... Uh, with the help of the Walt and Lily Disney Foundation, in other words, Walt's family foundation, uh, helped us with a matching grant. We were able to stabilize that building. We were able to satisfy the city that it was no longer a dangerous building. And so that's our major accomplishment. Now, what we hope to accomplish is to restore that building to its original appearance back in 1922. It was a brand new building then, and the famous Kansas City architect, Nell Peters, uh, Nell Peters designed that building. Uh, so it's noteworthy for those connections as well as the uh, Disney connections. Mm. And it was actually fun uh, in my previous episode. I guess it's a couple episodes ago when I was speaking with Will Ryan and Katie Lee again. Uh, Will Ryan, actually, the first thing when I got on there asked me, hey, is Walt Disney Studios still standing? Because he, he had mm -hmm. heard something about the demolition but didn't realize that mm -hmm. uh, you guys had saved it. So I, I sent him some video yeah. I shot out there at the studio. Good. It's Good. really neat. You've got like murals from all these different cartoonists. That are all over yeah. the walls. It's really a sight. It's yeah. kind of cool. That's true, and and they're getting a little faded. We need to replace mm -hmm. those. Um, they were never intended to be permanent. Uh, but you're right. Several Kansas City area artists donated their their support. Um, what we're really doing by generating uh, more publicity in recent weeks is to lay the foundation for a capital campaign. We, you know, we need to ask people for money. That's mm -hmm. all it comes down to. Uh, if we don't raise the money, this building won't be saved. Now, you know, everybody says, well, is the Walt Disney Company uh, helping? And I always say they are. Uh, they haven't sued us yet. You know, that's a big help. <laughs> you know, when you think about it, when you think about it, the name Walt Disney is clearly the single greatest asset the Walt Disney Company has. When we started our little group and we incorporated the name Thank You, Walt Disney, um, we were very concerned uh, that, that we might uh, – you might get a cease and desist, but in fact, the Disney company has been very cordial and I've, I've corresponded with them in recent weeks and they've been very apologetic that they can't, you know, give us more financial support. Um, but eventually they probably will. And they followed this pattern with other projects like the Walt Disney Symphony Hall in downtown Los Angeles and, mm. you know, various other projects. Mm. Um, I, th I think the company... I know that the, the company, uh, at least in a sense, is supportive of what we're doing. Um, but we need to raise money in Missouri and Kansas in order to demonstrate that the project really has support. Yeah. So I want to urge people to go to our website, thankyouwaltdisney.org. Thankyouwaltdisney.org. And that's the easiest way to donate, easiest way to join up, sign up for our mailing list, and become a part of this project. Yeah, because uh, unfortunately this year we didn't have any conventions for y'all to be at because I usually go no. through and I buy my raffle tickets trying to win some big prizes from y'all and so far it hasn't worked. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for doing that. No, we're still hopeful that there may be a Comic-Con in April, but that's, you know, that's that's unknown. No one knows. Mm -hmm. 
It's been a wild year. <laughs> yes. yes, it has. We'll remember this year. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'll definitely remember because this is the, the first time in a long time I didn't get to make my trek up to Marceline for Toonfest. Oh, yeah. But I do that every well, so year. Many things, so many things have been have been put off this year. Um, but we'll recover. We'll yeah. recover. We'll recover. This is not the worst thing that's ever happened in human history. <laughs> that's actually something no. here with Christmas time. We're kind of worried, like, well, Christmas is going to be different this year. I love old yeah. radio shows and I listening to listen to old Christmas shows from like World War II, thinking, well, here's people going and uh, they're celebrating Christmas amongst a world war. Uh, where, that's right. I mean, my goodness, I can't imagine that. So I'm like, and we're complaining about a virus. Like, I okay, know. you know what? Let's go. <laughs> I can handle some Christmas yeah. this year. You probably know that the, the army marched into the Walt Disney Studios and took it over uh, just yeah. after Pearl Harbor. So you're absolutely right. I mean, you know, this is this is something that's it, it's tragic, uh, but we've adapted and and we will overcome this virus and things will go back to normal. Um, but it's been very disruptive this year. Yeah. And see, that's something where we can learn from Walt is, you know, he has his studio taken over. He finds a way to keep going. Mm hmm. He always oh, yeah. found a way. There's so many lessons from his life to be learned, and that's that's right. I think he was actually proud to be able to help with the war effort. Yeah. And of course, the studio's production during World War II was largely educational films that uh, were supportive of the war effort. Animation turned out to be a great tool for training. You can show people things in animation that you really can't show them in in live action. So it's a very effective uh, uh, educational tool, and uh, Disney was clearly proud to be able to help the war effort. Um, and, and thank goodness we have, we don't have to deal with something like that. Yeah. And, you know, he might have helped really for us to win the war when you see, and anybody who hasn't right. seen this, track it down, victory through air power. That's right. When he, uh, golly, I can't, I've heard an entire story about when he had made it and mm -hmm. it got into the right hands. I think even the president at the time saw it and yeah. they thought, hey, yeah. we really do have a chance to victory if we change up the way we're fighting this war. And, that's right. That's right. Now, you know, that was an adaptation of a book written by a general whose name I can't recall at the moment. Talk about <laughs> it. It'll come to me in a minute. But uh, you're exactly right. Victory Through Air Power, both the book and the film. And they sure do appear to explain how the war is going to be won. I mean, mm -hmm. it, it pretty much followed the pattern that that book set out. So see, there's you never know how history is going to go, but Walt was at that forefront. So anything mm -hmm. with his within his origins, it's very important and must be preserved. Now you guys yes. have some very specific plans of what you're wanting to put into the uh, the building once you get it built up, right? Yes. yes, we do. Yes, we do. They're not set in stone, but we do have a vision and architectural drawings, thanks to Gould Evans, who's been working closely with us. We have a a vision for that that little building. It's got about 10,000 square feet in it right now. We've, we're even thinking about expanding it at some point. But what we will install in there is a small film theater, a small, high-quality film theater. Uh, we will also have a co-working space. Uh, you've probably heard of PlexPod. And Gerald Smith, who's with PlexPod, is going to uh, work with us to lease out space within that building to young entrepreneurs who, like Walt Disney, uh, hope to make their fortune uh in in uh the industry uh, uh the broader uh industry of digital uh animation and digital storytelling uh a group whose board i chair called digstory kc uh may be one of our prime tenants but we'll also have 
a museum. This building is going to lend itself to multiple functions. And so much of the wall space is going to be devoted to exhibits which tell the story of Walt Disney and the other great animators who worked with him uh, in Kansas City. Because as you noted, very few people in Kansas City have any idea uh, of the importance to uh, the entire industry of, of what happened there. Yeah, so very important to preserve it. And I like that uh, you're going into innovation of animation because that's something I think if Walt was still alive and kicking today, he would yeah. definitely be innovating on the animation. He'd be very oh, excited yeah. about the project. Well, he was always on the cutting edge of technology. Mm -hmm. I mean, Walt, cre Walt created the first Technicolor animated films. He created the first uh, talking animated films. He uh, was one of the very first Hollywood filmmakers to embrace television. Most mm -hmm. filmmakers were, were terrified of television. They thought it was going to ruin the film industry. But Walt saw not only that it was the future, but that television could complement the film industry. And he used those programs, the Mickey Mouse Club, and especially the Wonderful World of Color, uh, to promote his films very effectively and to promote his theme parks as well. Mm -hmm. I can remember as a little kid, I was programmed to go to Disneyland. And <laughs> the first time, first time I went to California, I headed straight for Disneyland. Uh, and, and uh, you know, it was he was a genius. He and Roy both uh, were geniuses in their own fields. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I'm glad we had both of them. Because <laughs> one thing we learned from Laugh-O-Gram is Walt did not know how to run a business. He well, could innovate yeah. with the best of them, but... <laughs> yeah, and, and he was just a kid, really, when, when yeah. he ran that place. Um, he, um, but you're absolutely right. Roy had already moved out to the West Coast because he was trying to recuperate from tuberculosis that he picked up during the war. And Walt had begun corresponding with Margaret Winkler, who was the nation's foremost distributor of animated films. The most popular animated film series were uh, Felix the Cat and Crazy Cat. And uh, and so he, he wrote to her. He figured he'd go with the best. And he wrote to her and he sent her his one real film, Alice's Wonderland. And uh, she liked it. And she said, yes, I'll make you I'll give you a contract to make. Uh, a series of these cartoons, but you got to have that same little girl in them. Well, that little girl lived in Kansas City mm -hmm. while was moving to Hollywood, but he talked uh, her parents into moving to L.A. so little Virginia could star in this series of films. And she was a great lady. Uh, Virginia Davis played a very important role in the early uh, history of the Walt Disney Company, both in Kansas City and in Hollywood. Um, and so I, I saw her uh, back in October 16, 1998, the 75th year to the day of the founding of the Walt Disney Company. Virginia wow. was given the Disney Legend Award, and I was her date. I was, oh. I was her escort to the, to the Disney Legend Award. And at that time, there was only a few hundred people that were admitted to that event. And I thought, my God, how lucky I am yeah. uh, to get to be here. Uh, and it was an incredible day because I got to shake hands with and talk to Haley Mills, her father, John Mills from Systemic Robinson. Mm. Uh, oh, Kurt Russell, uh, uh, Dick Van Dyke, uh, just on and on, Gwyneth Johns, uh, just on and on and on. These, these incredible, incredible Disney uh, heroes, Fess Parker, and then my ultimate thrill, I got to meet Annette Funicello. So <laughs> it was an amazing day. It was truly an amazing day. Um, and now uh, 
Virginia's signature and handprints are set in concrete at the at the Disney Legends Plaza, which is right outside the Seven Dwarfs building on the Burbank Studio lot. Wow. It was, so yeah, was during great. this event, was your jaw just on the floor the entire time? <laughs> well, it sounds like we're losing our audio a little bit, Ted, but I figured your jaw had to have been just on the floor through that entire oh, event. Yes, yes. yes, it was awesome. It was <laughs> awesome. I was in heaven. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. A red letter day. I also got to spend, you know, another one of my, my red letter Disney days is I, I developed an acquaintance with, uh, uh, with the uh, lady who was the voice of Snow White, uh, Andrea Casalotti. Wow. And this uh, is her home one evening. I, had, you know, I, had, I, I'd been out to LA for Disney conventions and events several times. And every time I'd call up and say, Hey, uh, it was Adriana. I said, can, can I come over and visit you? And she'd say, Oh, I'm not feeling well, maybe another time. Finally, I call up one day and, uh, it's like the next, my next to last day in Los Angeles, but I call up, I get the answering machine. I say, Oh, Adriana, can I come visit you? Please. Can I come see you this evening? And she picks up the phone and starts singing music from Snow White. Oh, wow. <laughs> it says, yes, Dan, I'm feeling great today. Come on by. So I bring her some flowers and I've got my video camera running, you know, from the minute she opens the door and she was a great ham. She was totally into it. And so, Gosh, I I made a video that evening that I really ought to I really ought to uh, distribute, I guess. But yeah, but, uh, in her home, talking with her about her work on Snow White, you know, the stories she told for years on the Tonight Show and other other places. But to but to be there with her, and and then she sits down at the baby grand piano with her Disney Legend Award on top, and just reels off the whole soundtrack to Snow White. Wow. <laughs> it was a, it was a great performance. It was so so magical you know to be there with snow white um wow. uh, that was a great experience that was a great experience but yeah the kansas city period of walt's life was was incredibly important to his career and to the development of animation in hollywood um it was a relatively short period of time but walt really did set the pattern for his whole career there the short cartoons he made were loosely based on classic fairy tales and children's stories and of course that's what he did for the rest of his life um it all he also made live action films there and some people uh forget that walt made some of the greatest live action films ever created mm -hmm. uh, you know some of my favorites uh, uh swiss family robinson uh treasure island uh, of course, Mary Poppins, which was a yes. combination of live action and uh, animation. But I tell you, one of the one of the films that's largely forgotten and really needs to be remembered is Darby O'Gill and the Little People. Which yes, was Sean Sean Connery's first starring role. Mm -hmm. uh, he does a great job in that movie. He he sings. I think yeah. that's the only thing he sang on film. <laughs> Janet, Janet Monroe, his co-star, was also somebody I had a big crush on, and and oh, she. Yeah. Great. The two of them. I mean, that movie was not actually shot in Ireland, but boy, it it's, it, it it could have been. You know, it's just if that's not the way Ireland is, it's certainly the way Ireland ought to be. And, uh, <laughs> and, and uh, it's a fun movie. I mean, it's you know, it's lighthearted for the most part, but it's got some really scary parts. Yeah, and some great fantasy sequences with with Brian, King Brian of the Little People and. Uh, Oh, it's just wonderful. I urge people to check it out. Darby O'Gill and the Little People. 
And there was just genius marketing because Walt gets on television with, you know, Brian. And he's totally like, nope, we actually had to find the little people so we could make this movie about them. Right. Just, oh. That's right. Yeah, that's right. God, they and, did some great effects in that film. Yes. Long it before CGI. Amazing. Yeah. I mean, it's stuff basically, if Walt hadn't made that movie and gotten so good at that, people would not have probably come along later to be able to make Lord of the Rings and make us believe that Frodo was the right size. Yeah. Right, right. I mean, they were yeah, the masters yeah. of forced perspective. Even when you go walking down Main Street in a Disney Park, you've got forced mm-hmm. perspective. I mean, they just nailed it. It was so amazing. Mm-hmm. That is Absolutely unbelievable. Right. It's so that Darby O'Gill is like I. I watch that pretty much every year. For, ever since the first time I saw it, I was like, "This is my new St. Yeah. Patrick's go-to movie." Oh yeah, absolutely right. Absolutely right. And I do find it funny because uh, you can, you know, like Sean Connery, his first role, and he's singing, you know. She's mm-hmm. my dear, my darling one. And then you, Clint, right. Clint Eastwood, I believe his first movie, he actually has a singing part in. <laughs> oh, I didn't realize. Now, wait a minute. That wasn't Creature from the Black Lagoon, was it? Or Return of the Creature, I think. I don't one know. There's, there's something where, really, yeah. where well, like, East, uh, Eastwood sang in Paint Your Wagon. Yeah, I think that's the one. It's like Paint Your Wagon. Clint Eastwood was singing yeah. in that one. That's the first thing I think that's I remember right. him from being in. Yeah. But, but he well, Was he in the Black Lagoon somewhere? Uh, very... He was in one of the sequels, and, and just made a brief appearance as a laboratory assistant. Uh, I don't believe he sang in that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow. Rawhide is what most people remember Clint Eastwood from. Yeah. The TV. <laughs> but you never know who's going to sing a song. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, I have been excited for the potential of what this could be ever since I first heard about the Laughogram being there and hearing that you guys were up in the efforts. And here, you know, they had some success up in Chicago with the old house that uh, Walt's father had built there uh, and yes. rejuvenating that. And I'm like, hey, that gives me hope that this people are yeah. interested in this. No doubt. No doubt. Yes. People need Chicago, to know that it happens folks, here. Yeah. The folks who own the birthplace of both Walt and Roy up in Chicago deserve a lot of credit. Mm-hmm. At least the exterior of that building has been beautifully restored. And I know they hope to open it to uh, to visitors soon. Uh, also in Marceline, as you noted, Marceline has a wonderful Disney Museum and the old yes. Santa Fe train station. And uh, it is it is impressive. I really urge people to make the trip to Marceline. Make sure the museum's open. You know, check before you go. Yeah. Um, it's, it's very much worth the trip. And we intend to have an impressive Disney Museum in the old Lapagram building in Kansas City uh, sometime soon. <laughs> you know, sometime soon. That's all we can say. People keep saying, oh, when's it going to open? Well, when you give us the money, it will open. <laughs> <you know? laughs> yeah, it takes a lot of time, a lot of effort, a lot of money. And so how much is the goal? What? Do, how much do you need? We estimate we're going to need in the neighborhood of $4 million to to really uh do this project right you know uh the interior of the building had been uh almost totally lost when we bought this building um the the building was designed by kansas city architect nell peters to have several we don't know for sure but it might have been as many as a dozen skylights in it and of course skylights are great for artists skylights uh provide great illumination but they are also a weak point in the roof of a building and if you put multiple skylights in a building uh, they will leak. And mm. That's what happened there. Water oh, was falling into that building for many, many years. It sat vacant and it had destroyed the interior. There were large portions of the interior had collapsed inside there. So, you know, it's not 
hard to see why the city was going to tear it down. It yeah. was it was clearly a dangerous building, and we it was heartbreaking. But we had to excavate the interior of the building in order to keep the walls standing and uh, stabilize. We had to re, we had to uh, deconstruct and then reconstruct a large portion of the north facade. But of course, we put the same bricks back in the same place, and we had to, we poured a new floor. We have installed a new second story floor in the building and we put a new roof on the building so it's it's stable it's solid and it's ready for uh, the next phase which is to rebuild the interior now we're not going to rebuild the stores that were in there you know it's designed to have about five storefronts in it um we will however reconstruct walt studio where it was and uh as close as we can to exactly how it looked fortunately we have both moving pictures and uh, photographs of the interior of the Lavagram studio. And, and uh, uh, you know, we have quite a bit of information about uh, uh, the operation there. One reason we have that, ironically, is his bankruptcy. But in the bankruptcy, he was forced to list every asset. So every, every stick of furniture uh, is listed in, wow. in that bankruptcy filing. And uh, it, it is also very helpful. It's a great resource for us. Yeah. Um, so it will not be difficult to rebuild the Disney studio just as it appeared. You know, one of the greatest stories uh, about this building is that uh, Walt gave up his apartment not long after he rented this this space in the Lafgram building. He decided he didn't need an apartment anymore. He could just live in a studio. And so he, he said he slept on a pile of canvas. I don't even know why they had canvas there. They weren't, they weren't painting on canvases, but uh, he said he slept on a pile of canvas in the studio. And at night, um, the mice would come out yeah. and they would take the crumbs out of a wire waste basket. His employees, you know, ate their lunches there, threw the, threw the uh, remains into the trash. He said he would watch these mice come out and take take the crumbs out of the wastebasket. He said uh, he began to put food out for the mice and try to lure them closer to him. He said one little mouse was braver than the others, and that little mouse actually became his pet. And that mouse played on his drawing board and lived in a drawer of his desk. And when he left Kansas City, he was very concerned about that mouse's welfare. And so he took that mouse out to the, he said, out to the country. I suspect it might have been Swope Park, but he wanted to take him away from the cat who lived downstairs mainly <laughs> and, uh, and make sure he was safe. And so, you know, that mouse, of course, became the inspiration five years later for the world's most famous fictional character. Mm -hmm. uh, there's just there's just a direct connection between uh, the Laughogram studio and Walt Disney and Walt and, and the creation of Mickey. And Walt told that story many, many times in published interviews. Yep. So Kansas City is the birthplace of Mickey Mouse. Mm -hmm. Period. I think that's a fair <laughs> statement. Yes, I think that's a very fair statement. Mm -hmm. um, absolutely correct. Of course, he made after the Alice comedies, Walt did a series for Universal Pictures called Oswald the Lucky Rabbit. Yep. And um, and the evolution of Mickey uh, from Oswald is also uh, apparent. I mean, there aren't a lot of differences between Oswald and Mickey uh, in their physical appearance. But <laughs> uh, Walt was determined to keep the rights to this character. And, of course, he did. Uh, Mickey became the and still is the corporate symbol for the Walt Disney Company. And I hope that never changes. <laughs> 
because <laughs> I do worry because you know the copyright you know expires after so many years, and I remember that became kind of a big deal. People started realizing, hey, you know, Mickey's you know ninety years, he's he's getting yeah, close. I think they'll figure out a way to hang on to Mickey. Yeah, um, you know, Walt said, I only hope we never forget one thing that it was all started by a mouse. Well, he may have been thinking of that mouse at the Waffogram Studio. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'd say we print that and say, poop, there's this case positive right there. It was that mouse. It was the Kansas City mouse. I, we will I see claim no it. <laughs> yeah, I see no reason to doubt that. Right. You know, a lot of a lot of Walt's experiences in Kansas City led to the creation of other Disney uh, creations. For instance, the first animated film in Technicolor, which also was the first animated film to win an Oscar. Mm -hmm. It's called Flowers and Trees, part of the Silly Symphony series. In in his childhood, uh, while he lived in Kansas City, Walt attended the uh, what was then known as the Benton School on uh, Benton Boulevard. And that's where he took his first art classes. And he said uh, that his art teacher there assigned the class to draw pictures of flowers. And Walt drew his flowers with faces on them. And the teacher <laughs> corrected him and said, well, flowers do not have faces on them. And and but in 1932, Walt made the first animated film to win an Oscar. And in that movie, the flowers do indeed have faces on them. Yes, so indeed. He, he had the last word on that. You know, another thing that, that Walt did in Kansas City uh, is that he and his pal, uh, Walt Pepper, a neighbor on Belfont, would sneak out late at night and take part in amateur contests at local theaters. And Walt had an outfit that his mom helped him make um, where he, he, uh, imitated abraham lincoln he had a, <laughs> a tall cardboard hat and his father's coat on him was very long of course and uh, a fake beard and she put a mole on his cheek and uh, he was famous for going to uh, uh, school one day on lincoln's birthday february 12th probably 1915 he, he went to school in his lincoln outfit and he recited the gettysburg address wow. so his teacher was very impressed with that and took him to uh, visit the principal, J.M. Cottingham, and the principal took him around to all the classes to do his Lincoln routine. Well, in 1960, 1963 or so, state of Illinois came to Walt and said, uh, we want you to help design our pavilion for the 1964-65 New York World's Fair. Walt said, I will build for you the most lifelike, the most realistic robot that has ever been created in the image of the 16th president. And so the Lincoln figure that he created for the New York World's Fair uh, later on, of course, was transferred to Disneyland and inspired the Hall of Presidents at Walt Disney World. And in a sense, we're still seeing little Walt Disney in Kansas City doing his Lincoln routine at school when we see <laughs> that robot recite not only the Gettysburg Address, but other other Lincoln speeches there. Um, it's it's you know it's just almost beyond debate uh, that that was the inspiration. Although he may not have said it at the time, but many of Walt's experiences in Kansas City uh, had a direct impact and a major impact uh, on his films uh, and on his theme parks. No mm -hmm. question about it. You know, he used to go to a place called Electric Park. Electric Park was Kansas City's Coney Island, and that's how they promoted it. Was Kansas City's Coney Island and Electric Park. <laughs> Electric Park was a big deal. It was uh, 
it was a gigantic park. It was around 46th and Paseo, and there's there's nothing left of it today. You you can't see anything that indicates there was ever a, a theme park, or I should say, an amusement park there. But Electric Park, um, as the name suggests, was was just full of electric lights back when many people didn't even have electricity in their homes. But at nighttime, when they turned on the lights and all of the architecture there was outlined in white lights, I think that is the reason the same thing happens today in Disneyland and all the other Disney theme parks. You know, Marceline had a big impact on Disneyland, but so did Kansas City. Right. Well, we probably better wrap this up. But so once again, where can everybody go to make donations to help keep this project going? Go to thankyouwaltdisney.org, thankyouwaltdisney.org, and you'll find lots of interviews there, lots of information, um, and uh, you can join, you can make a monthly donation. That would be ideal. Yeah. You can sign up and whatever you can afford, a monthly donation. Um, we would uh, deeply appreciate it, and you will help us move uh, that much quicker toward our goal of opening this building to the public. And then once it's there, no matter where you live, Take the time, plan a trip here to Kansas City, and then once you've come and toured the studio, make sure you drive up to Mark's Lane. Just get the whole thing. Just, just make the whole whirlwind tour of it here in Missouri. We, we'd love to have people come and visit us because, yeah, yeah, the magic started in Mark's Lane, but it continued here before it launched itself into Hollywood. That's exactly right. Oh, yes. That's well, thank exactly you, Dan, right. for you're coming you're and talking welcome. to us. And, you're uh, very welcome, sir. And I'm going to have to talk to you again because there's probably a lot more Kansas City history that you haven't gotten a chance to share yet. <laughs> we'll do it again anytime you like. Awesome. Thanks again. You're welcome, Jeremy. Have a nice night. Hey, thanks for listening to this week's episode of Neverland to Disney and Beyond. And of course, I want to remind you to keep a pixie in your pocket. What do I mean by that? Well, that is that young at heart, positive thoughts that you're going to keep in your pocket and share it with other people. Pull out that pixie dust and share it. Make sure, of course, that you check our show notes right there in whatever app you're listening to. There's a way to find the show notes. Now, I don't know what app you're listening to, so I can't tell you the specifics, but go and check it out. Also, visit our website, NeverlandPodcast.com. Make sure that you leave us a nice review on whatever you're listening to, be it Apple or Google or Stitcher or just about anywhere. Leave us a nice review and... We appreciate that. And also make sure you share the show with others because we like to bring other people into our community. And, of course, make sure you visit our Patreon page, patreon.com slash neverlandpodcast. We appreciate all of your help to keeping the magic alive here in Neverland. And, of course, if you're looking for a bit more fun, go search for us on YouTube, Neverland to Disney and Beyond. Until next week, like I said, keep a pixie in your pocket. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com.